So this morning, before we, we open up scripture and before we talk about this subject, I'd like to invite you to bow your heads with me and, uh, and let's pray, asking God's direction upon this time. Father, we want to thank you. We praise your name that you allowed us to be here this morning. And we praise your name that we have freedom still in this country to be able to open up scripture and study your word. And as Lord, we study, we ask that your voice will be heard. I ask, Lord, that you may hide me behind the cross of Christ, that I'll be used simply as an instrument, and that every word that I say will not only be tempered and seasoned with love and grace, but will also be an exact representation of what you want us to hear this morning. May your word come out alive, Lord, and uh, ignite a change and a decision in our hearts that we may decide to be closer to you and to continue to walk with you. Bless each and every worshiper here this morning. Bless every child. Uh, may we all, Lord, be able to enjoy your presence with joy and gladness in our hearts and leave this place later today with a message from you in our hearts. I ask you these blessings in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, there is a very popular book, a very popular novel called Around the World in 80 Days. That was written by Jules Verne, or Jules Verne. And uh, in this story, as you may know, it, it, it is the story of a wealthy British man. And uh, he was one day in a club that was called the Reform Club, and they had some controversy about a point and they they set a wager and they said we we challenge you to travel around the world in 80 days to be able to circumnavigate the world and come back here in 80 days and he took the wager and he went for it with the help of his assistant that in French is called passepartout or uh, goes through everything goes through anything Someone who goes through anything. And so they set out on this journey. And uh, one lesson we can learn from that, and this is a, just a fictional story. One lesson we can learn is that every trip, every journey uh, takes some sacrifice, demands some sacrifice on the part of the person who is taking that trip. Whether you, you leave Sabbath morning to come to church, there is some sacrifice involved. Maybe not as much as someone who sets out to travel the world in 80 days. But there is some degree of sacrifice. There is some degree of sacrifice involved in every travel, in every trip that you make. Some types of trip demand more than others, but still, there is always sacrifice uh, involved. And in the case of this uh, uh, British lord called Phileas Fogg in this uh, novel by Jules Verne, in his case, the wager was for 2, 000, uh, 20,000 sterling pounds, which in today's money would be roughly around 2,250,000 sterling pounds, which in Canadian dollars would be just around 3,650,000 Canadian dollars. And that's how much sacrifice he was willing to pay uh, to be able to do that. And he was waging half of his fortune that's what that money represented 
And he was willing to do that because he wanted to prove that he was able to do that. And in fact, he came back to London just the, on the 80th day, he was able to come back. And uh, in fact, even though he was willing to spend that money, it turns out that he didn't have to because he was able to complete. But every trip, every journey demands some sacrifice. Whether it be a decision you make in life, whether it be an actual trip that you are going to take, whether it be a journey in life where you, you lock arms with someone and you have a project in life, it will demand sacrifice. So that's something we need to keep in mind as we think about the different journeys we take on in our lives. People travel for different reasons. People may travel because they are relocating somewhere else. Because they've been transferred at work and they have to relocate. And that's a, a great degree of sacrifice involved with that. Maybe you grew, you grew up in a city, in a town, and you lived all your life there. But at a certain point in your life, you have to relocate. And that's not easy. I was thinking about this this week as I was preparing this message. And I realized that I have lived in 14 different addresses uh, throughout my life. Well, I, uh, it may, be, may not be as much. I believe there, there may be people even here who have lived in more than 14 different addresses throughout their lives. My children have lived in six addresses, uh, which is almost half of what I have. So they have, they have moved more than I have uh, proportionally given my, my lifetime. But... You, you relocate because of work reasons, because of different reasons, because many people relocate because they're, they're willing to start over and, uh, and start from scratch their life in a new place. People travel because of family reunions, family gatherings. People travel because of class reunions. People travel because they go out on vacation. But people also travel because sometimes they receive that call that they were wishing they would never receive. And then the phone rings and someone on the other end of the line gives you that sad notice that someone in the family has passed away. And people have to travel not for specifically the best family gathering or reunions they were wishing for, but they have to go there and assist uh, the family of the loving one who has passed away. Different reasons make people travel, and people travel using different means of transportation, whether it be a vehicle or a bus or a train or an airplane or a, a, a ship or a cruise liner. People take different transportation means, and they go to different places. You just have to go to a place like Union Station, and you see all those people going around, going across, and they're going to different locations. Some of them will we'll board the same train and go to, to the, in the same direction. But even so, some will get off at a certain station and others will continue on. So people go to different places all the time for different reasons and using different means of transportation. The Bible has examples of people traveling as well. And, and we see that traveling and being on the move is part of life. It is part of life, and it's, it's very rare that we'll find someone who will have been born in a certain home and will live all the way through the end of their lives in that one home. There are people who, 
who manage to do that, but most people will be on the move all the time in their lives. And the Bible has examples of people who were traveling, who were on the move. You remember that right at the beginning, right there at the beginning, Adam and Eve were living in this perfect paradise, the Garden of Eden. And then after sin, they had to relocate. God said, you can no longer stay here. And God drove them out of the Garden of Eden. They had to settle in a different environment. They had to adapt to that. Lot was living in Sodom with his family. And the voice of God and the command came for him to come out of Sodom. And he was supposed to leave and so he did. And so he had to relocate as well. You see the people of Israel traveling across the wilderness for 40 years before they were able to get to the promised land. And so people were on the move and, and the imagery of the people of Israel going across, going the wilderness is, is a proper imagery for the people of God today. As we also go through the wilderness of this world on a journey to heavenly Canaan. On a journey to the heavenly promised land. You see wise men in the Bible that came from the east. They came solely because they wanted to see Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? There are two examples I want to give you. One of them is this. That wise men came from the east. We don't know exactly exactly which town they came from. We don't know exactly how they looked like. But they came with the sole intent of seeing Jesus. They saw the, the star, they followed it, and they came to see Jesus. Now, they refer to Jesus in their first encounter with Herod. They say, we are here, and we came to see the king of the Jews, who has just been born. And that set uh, uh, Herod. Herod was concerned with that. When he heard, well, the king of the Jews, I'm supposed to be the king of the Jews, king of the Jews. But these men came all the way from the east. They traveled many days because they wanted to see Jesus. Well, uh, this fictional character wanted to travel the world in 80 days because he wanted to save his money or he wanted to make money and he wanted to prove he was able. But these men were coming not because they wanted to prove anything to anyone. They came because they wanted to see Jesus and they traveled afar there were some Greek men as well the Bible says some Greeks came to the temple in Jerusalem and because they were not ethnic Jews they could not go inside all the way in and they they talked to one of the disciples and asked them, asked him to go and tell Jesus that they were there to see him these men were the Bible says that they were Greek and they came to see Jesus at the temple. These two examples, the wise men from the east and the Greeks that came to see Jesus, remind me that we are all foreigners. We're all strangers on this land. And that we are on this journey looking forward to our final destination when we'll finally see Jesus. This is what we want. This is what we wish for. This is what we dream about. This is what we have to commit to. That no matter what, we're going to travel all that is needed until we finally come into the presence of Jesus. We might as well finish the message here. If you keep that in mind, that 
There is no other goal in life. There is no other goal on the journey you and I are taking than seeing Jesus face to face. But the Bible not only tells us of people who have traveled to see Jesus, people who have traveled for different reasons, the, the most uh, important of those being this desire to see Jesus. The Bible also has some counsel. The Bible also has some guidance. The Bible even has some commands in terms of how we should prepare for our trips and how we should set out on taking our trips. So I want to bring you to Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, verses 5 to 10. Here is Jesus. Jesus is sending out the 70 uh, disciples, 70 of his disciples, and he's given them some instruction. And in the book of Luke chapter 10 and verses 5 to 10, Luke 10 verses 5 to 10, Jesus gives them some direction. And he says, uh, I'll wait till we all find there. If you all have found it, say a loud amen. amen. Okay, it was not as loud, so I'll wait, I'll wait a bit. Right, Scott? Okay, so I think we're all there now. Luke 10, verses 5 to 10. And the Bible says, But whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. And heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into the streets and, uh, go, sorry, go out into the streets as are set before you. No, go out into the streets and say the very dust of your city which clings to us we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. Uh, I must confess that I read, I think, one text more than I should have. But anyway, uh, God, Jesus is giving them instruction that they should go. And the first thing they should do is to share peace, is to declare peace peace to that house and then Jesus says uh, you don't take much with you right you don't take gold you don't take silver you go and whatever is given to you you accept and you stay in the house of people you don't have to be worried about staying in uh, in a lodge in an inn people will welcome you and whatever they give you you take now the, someone may, may read this and think well it's it's customary it's even mandatory that when I travel, someone will receive me in their home. And if they don't do that, they're not being true Christians. Well, things have changed today. Uh, some circumstances have changed. But whenever someone has the opportunity to welcome you in your home, that's a good thing. And we can enjoy the opportunity of being there. And we can enjoy whatever is set out before you, whatever is given to you. We don't have the right to demand anything. That's one 
lesson, a very good lesson in terms of personal, interpersonal relationships as we deal with people. Uh, I want to bring you to Matthew 10, verse 5 to 10. Uh, because here, I may have, sorry, in my notes, I may have two passages together here. And I'm hoping the text I'm going to read, the part of it I'm going to read is found in Matthew chapter 5. And again, yes. So, verse, verse 7, verse 7, Matthew 10, verse 7, beginning in verse 7, it says, And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of, he of heaven is at hand. Heal the, sick, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold, nor silver, nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. And so Jesus is saying, don't worry too much. Take the very bare minimum with you. And don't worry because your needs will be satisfied. There is no need for us as we journey along, as we go toward being in the presence of Jesus. No need to be worried too much about material or physical needs. God will provide. There is no need to be worried about facing hostility because of your faith. You will face hostility every now and then because of your faith. And as we come closer to the coming of Jesus, instead of saying you'll face hostility now and then, you'll face hostility all the time. But you don't have to be worried about that because Jesus will see you through. And the Bible says that we are to share peace. We are to declare peace to everyone who is looking for peace. That's what the Bible says. So wherever you go, you share peace with people. Wherever you go, you don't start an argument. You share peace with people. You are lovable. You are peaceable with those around you. A story is told that back in the day in the U.S., back in the day when people were venturing into the Old West and trying to establish themselves there, uh, a wagon pulled up to a, a settler's cabin. And the traveled, uh, the traveler, sorry, the traveler got off the wagon and went up to the settler. And this traveler was, of course, looking for a place to establish his roots as well. And he goes to the settler and asks, uh, Sir, can you tell me how are the neighbors here around you? And the settler, settler responded uh, with a question. He said, How were the neighbors back in the east where you lived? And the man said, You know, my neighbors were terrible. They were gossipers. They were liars. They were unfriendly. They wouldn't cooperate. They wouldn't do anything. They were the worst neighbors you could ever have. And the settler turned to him and said, Well, you will find the same kind here. And the man, of course, didn't stay. He drove on and went to another location. Well, a day or two later, another traveler was coming. He pulled up his wagon to the settler's cabin and went there and he also wanted to find a place to homestead and he turned to the settler and said sir how are things here how are the neighbors here and the settler said ask, answered by asking the same question he said uh, how were the neighbors back east and he said my neighbors were awesome 
They were loving. They were friendly. They were cooperative. They were the best neighbors, the nicest neighbors you could ever ask for. And the seller said, well, you'll find that kind here as well. And the man stayed there. So the lesson being, uh, whatever you want to have peace, you, you start peace yourself. You want to have an argument, you start it, and you will find uh, enemies right away. But you want to make friends, you'll be friendly. You want to be in peace, you want to be treated peacefully by others, you will start a movement of peace yourself. And as we journey along, we need to keep that in mind, because in the church... No two persons are alike. I, I could say in the world, no two persons are alike. Even twins are not alike, not exactly alike. But in the church, we'll see that people have different ideas, have different opinions, have different personalities. And as long as we're being faithful to God's word, as long as we're being faithful to the goal of our journey of seeing Jesus soon, we must learn to live with one another we must learn to share and declare peace to those around us. There is some more guidance here in the Bible I want to take you to before we get back to our text in Hebrews. And this one is found in Philippians. Philippians chapter 3 verses 14 and verses 13 and 14. Philippians 3, 13 and 14. And here is the Apostle Paul speaking to the Philippians. He says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. In other words, he's saying, I don't think I got it made myself. And then he continues on. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, <clears throat> reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so Paul is saying to begin with, he's saying that we must have a humble attitude. We must be humble. Paul was not claiming that he was perfect. He was not claiming that he had it made. He was not claiming that he had already gotten there. But he says, what I can do is what I do. I forget about the best and I focus on, the, on tomorrow. I focus on the goal that I have ahead, the prize of the upward call of, G, of God in Christ Jesus. And so, friends, I ask you, what is, what is it in your past that needs to be forgotten? Because that's what Paul is saying here, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. What is in your past that needs to be forgotten? What is in your life that you need to live behind? It may be some sense of guilt. It may be some uh, grudges you have held against people that need to be left behind, that need to be forgotten. There are things, maybe hurts inside your heart that you can't let go, but you have to. You have to, to trade that. You give that to God. God will give you peace of mind. God will give you comfort. But you have to enter into this trade agreement with God. You have to be willing to get over that. What is in your past that should be forgotten? What elements of your past need to be forgotten? If you come to God 
If you come to God today and you ask Him forgiveness for something you have done, either we believe in the Word of God or we don't. Because if the Lord says in His Word that if we confess our sins, He's able to, He's able to forgive us. If we truly believe that, if we take God in, on His Word and we come to God and, and sincerely confess our sin, He will forgive us. And once our sins are forgiven, the Bible says that God will, will store them where? In his, in his archives, so he can rub that on your face later on? No, the Bible says what? That he will? Right there in the depths of the ocean. In the depths of the sea, that's where God is going to store them. There have been in the history of humanity since airplanes were invented, there have been some terrible uh, aircraft accidents. Uh, airplanes are a very safe means of transportation. <clears throat> uh, maybe close to elevators, right? Maybe not as safe as elevators, <clears throat> but they are safe. But there have been some terrible accidents. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and one I remember, for example, of a plane that was flying uh, to Japan and it, it crashed, it fell in the Pacific Ocean, uh, never to be found again, and, and people were never again found. And this is a sad occurrence in the history of humanity. But as sad as it is, it reminds us that that's where God is going to send your sins to. Right there in the depths of the sea where no one, no one, only you yourself, but no one else will be able to go there and dig them back. And that's the promise of scripture. That you may live a life that is guilt free. That Jesus is taking the guilt and giving you pardon. Giving you peace of mind. So leave the past in the past. Okay? And live your day today. Live your presence, present preparing for the future. But Paul goes, goes ahead to say something else. He says, I forget those things which are behind. And I reach forward to those things which are ahead. And I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. And he's saying that he presses. Which goes back to the argument I presented in the beginning. That every journey, every trip requires sacrifice. So Paul is not saying, I do not consider, I have it made, and I, I forget the past, and I look forward, and then everything is taken care of. Jesus is going to pinch me from this location and place me right there at the end. No, he's saying that I press toward the goal. <clears throat> I have to press forward. I have to do my work. It's not a work of salvation, but I have to be determined. I have to be determined in the call I have received from God. The best part of a trip, if I were to ask you, what's the best part of a trip? What would you say? Pardon me? Oh, reaching your destination is the best part of the trip. Anyone has any other idea? Amen. I was looking for that answer. <laughs> because every time I travel, 
I'm not too much into social media, but when I used to use Facebook more, I, every time I was coming back home, I would post the best part of the trip now, going back home. Actually, getting back home is the best of it, in my humble opinion. And as we think about this, you know, when we think about the example of the wise men that came from the East, when you think about the example of those Greeks who came to the temple to see Jesus, and you put those things together, the idea of seeing Jesus as the end goal of your journey, and the idea of going back home as the safest and best place you can ever be, think about this, that our journey is, our destination is toward heaven. And there we'll be able to live with Jesus for a thousand years, and then forever on this renewed earth in the presence of of our Lord and Savior. G.K. Chesterton, uh, an English uh, scholar and theologian, he wrote this, there are two ways of getting home. There are two ways of getting home, and one of them is to stay there. The other, the other is to walk around the whole world till we come back to the same place. Oh, I think there are a couple of lessons there. One is that oh, uh, we are safe here in the house of God, in God's home right here. So don't go wandering around looking for, for novelty, looking for other things, looking for things that maybe you didn't have in your younger days, looking for things that you thought you were prevented from, that you were missing out in life. Don't go around looking for that. Because the safest way to get home, the easiest one, the fastest one is just to stay there. But we, ha we have, as Christians, also to march on and to continue on this journey that will lead us into the presence of Jesus face to face one day. And I'm reminded of the biblical example of Elijah. Elijah was a man that walked with God. We actually don't know much about Elijah's early days. We don't really know, uh, we know where he came from, the city, but we don't really know how he lived his life in his early years. And all of a sudden he appears and he has a word to King Ahab. But the end of his life, the, his earthly life, we know about. That he was preparing Elisha to take over his ministry and they crossed the Jordan. And there on the other side of the Jordan, Elisha was taken up. In this a swirling chariot of fire. And he went up. He was taken up to heaven. But even Elijah had to sacrifice something. Because there was something that dropped. And that Elisha took possession of. What was that? What was that? Yes, his mantle. So everything, every journey in life demands sacrifice. And Elisha was taken up in this chariot of fire, and he went straight into the presence of Jesus there. And this is what we are looking forward to as well, isn't it? And so let's, let's go back to Hebrews now, and we'll see the final lessons we can learn from this text. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And the Bible says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, 
Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So, we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. There are people looking at you, even though you may not realize that. I have a t-shirt at home that I, it, it's, the color has faded a bit, but I still keep it, that my children gave me, was something that uh, my son actually gave me. He may not even remember that, because he was really young, and this was in school. And they wrote, that with the help of the teachers, they wrote, uh, Daddy, uh, I'm keeping my eyes on you, right? Or I'm following you, something like that in Portuguese. And you may not think, you may not even realize, but people are looking at you. People are looking at the decisions you make. People are looking at the actions you take. People are observing you. As they observe Jesus, as they observed every, every, each and every one of God's servants throughout the centuries. And so there is a cloud of witnesses around you. And so Paul says, let us lay aside every weight. Let's lay aside, as I said before, the weight of the grudges you've held against people. Let's lay aside the guilt and the shame. Jesus has already carried all that burden on his shoulders. Jesus has already died for your sins and for my sins. So let's leave that behind. Let's let aside every weight. Let's let aside everything that encumbers the work of the church. When we, when we seed distrust in other people. When we allow ourselves to say things about people that we are not even sure of. When we allow ourselves to spread news that we are not even sure they are true, they are false or just fake news. When we allow ourselves to spread uh, slander in the church, around those, uh, with, to those around us. Let's lay all of that aside. All of that weight, it only encumbers, it only hinders the work of the church, the work of God here. Let us lay aside all this weight that is preventing us to moving fast forward. Well, in, the, in, day, in ages past, uh, you had an allowance of 32 kilos or 70 pounds in your checked-in luggage when you were flying. Today, most countries have brought it down to 23 kilos or 50 pounds. And Brazil was one of the few countries, uh, Brazil and Japan, and I think it, it, it ended up that it was only Brazil at the time that was still allowing you to travel with two bags free of charge with 70 pounds each. Now that has changed again. It's uh, changed as well. It's only 50 pounds. And so people have learned one way or another to travel lighter. And you have to travel lighter. You have to travel wiser. You have to really select what you're going to take when you're flying. And the same way the book of Hebrews is saying, let us lay aside every weight, everything that is not necessary, everything that is not essential, everything that is going to take you away from your focus of being with Jesus, lay that aside. 
Don't spend time, don't spend energy on those things. Lay those things aside and let's move forward. And then Paul goes on to say, let's lay aside every weight and also the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance this race that is set before us. We cannot expect God to, God to bless us, right? When we are holding on to sin, when we are holding on to evil thinking, when we are holding on to malice, when we are holding on to evil speaking, when we are holding on to covetousness, we cannot expect the Lord to bless us because if He did, that's one of the reasons sometimes we pray, we pray, and we don't see the answer. Because if God were to answer according to what we are asking, we would not stop and think, well, something needs to be changed in my life. Something is not right. And the Bible is encouraging us to leave aside, to lay aside not only the weight of all these preoccupations in life, but mostly leave aside, lay aside the sin that so easily ensnares us. That so easily keeps you stuck where you are. And you, may, and you may try to walk, you may try to walk, but you find yourself like in sinking sand because you can't make any progress in life. And so I tell you, this is a word that maybe is not the, the word that most people would like to hear. That the Bible is, call us, is calling us to be faithful to God and to lay aside sin. Every habit, I read here from Acts of the Apostles. Page 312 by Ellen White. She says, these are the weights that the Christian must lay aside if he would run successfully the race for immortality. Every habit or practice that leads into sin and brings dishonor upon Christ must be put away whatever the sacrifice. I could come here this morning and say it doesn't matter because God loves you anyhow and He really does. That's a true word. That God loves you and He will love you no matter what. But it does matter that we need to be careful with the habits and practices that lead into sin. And we need to lay that aside if we want to make progress in our spiritual life. One sin cherished is sufficient to work degradation of character and to mislead others. It's not only our character that gets degraded, it's also the influence, the bad influence we exert upon others. And so Paul is calling us, lay all of that aside. Lay all of that weight aside. Lay all that sin aside. Give it to Jesus. And let's move forward. Enduring the race that is before us. And during the race, despising shame, let's go forward and run this race that's been set, in, set before us with endurance. So that we may look unto Jesus and be with Him one day. I tell you friends, I tell you brothers and sisters. If, if there was no sacrifice involved, it would not be worth it. If there was no sacrifice involved, it would not be a journey. 
There is no way we can travel together. There is no way we'll be able to reach our destination without sacrifice. While it cost Jesus his life on the cross, think about that. And Paul goes on here in verses 3 and 4 in chapter 12 by saying, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. And now verse 4, You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. It may be hard. It may be hard to lay aside some uh, traits of character. It may be hard to lay aside some types of weight. It may be hard to lay aside some sins. But you have not suffered as much as Jesus did. Because he suffered and he, he went all the way to shedding his blood for you and for me. And you have not yet resisted to bloodshed. Striving against sin. So the word of God is powerful. The word of God can rescue sinners from their way and bring them and restore them back to the image of God. The word of God has brought you all along here. The word of God is the reason why you are here today. You are not here today because of me. You are not here today because of the choir. You are not here today because this is a comfortable, albeit a little uh, hot, uh, temple today because of the because of the summer you are not here for any of those things even though they may be nice and appropriate things you are here because the word of god has worked change in your life and you feel you need to be in the presence of god now this is not the end of it and we are on this journey we have to run to race toward the goal remember when the people of israel were delivered from egypt and God gave instructions to Moses about the Passover. God told him how to tell the people to observe the Passover. And God said to Moses, Now you tell them to have their meal. How? Were they supposed to sit around the table and take their time and have the Passover meal? No. They were supposed to eat that prepared, standing, ready to go. Ready to go anytime. And this is how we must be. This is not the end of it. Uh, July the 6th, 2019 is not the end of our journey yet. The Lord has something more for you. The Lord has, the Lord wants to bring you to the final destination of meeting with Jesus. But for that, we must lay aside every weight. We must lay aside every sin and run towards the goal. Run with endurance that the Lord will provide you with. If you are willing to be one of those who will be counted amongst those who are willing to run this race faithfully, I'd like to ask you to stand and I'm going to offer a prayer for you this morning. Don't just stand because the person next to you is standing. Stand because you know you want to be able to overcome sin. You want to be able to overcome every, to lay aside every weight in life. You want to be able to see Jesus face to face and not be ashamed. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, because your word is truthful. And because in your word we find hope for each and every one of us. We find hope, Lord, when we may be discouraged. We find in the word, Lord, that you are willing to help us complete this journey. And my prayer for these people who are standing here this morning... 
And for those who perhaps did, did not stand, my prayer is still that we all, Lord, may be able to make it. That we all will be empowered in a way that will lay aside slander, that will lay aside gossip, that will lay aside any grudges we've been holding against other people. That will lay aside every practice, every habit that leads into sin. And even though we may not have the strength to do that, we have been promised that in, in Jesus we have this strength. And so in Christ Jesus we ask you this, that we may be changed, that we will be able to finish this course, to finish this race strong and see Jesus face to face. I ask you, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen.